Welcome to Alma Matters, where sports, smarts, and life after McGill come together in one great conversation, led by your host, Earl Zuckerman. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Earl the Pearl Zuckerman. Thanks for joining us today on Alma Matters. In each episode, we'll speak with prominent members of our alumni about their McGill experience and how it has impacted their lives and careers. Alma Matters is presented by the Redbird Sports Shop, the official retail store of McGill Athletics and Recreation. Shop for McGill Apparel at redbirdsportshop.ca. With us today is the recently crowned Stanley Cup champion, Matthew Darsh, Director of Hockey Operations for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He has the unique distinction of winning a Stanley Cup in the same year that his brother, Jean-Philippe Darsh, won a Super Bowl ring as the team physician with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, A former hockey and football star from Saint Laurent, Quebec, um, Matthew went on to a long professional hockey playing career after leaving McGill including a stint with the Montreal Canadiens, and he was inducted in 2015 to the McGill Sports Hall of Fame. He skated four seasons at left wing for McGill, served as team captain, was an All-Canadian, three-time conference All-Star, was the team's uh, Bobby Bell trophy winner, was team MVP three times, quite a a, a historic uh, career at McGill. He received the Dr. Randy Gregg trophy in his senior year as the player who best combines hockey, academics, and uh, citizenship. And he capped off his brilliant university career by winning the Forbes Trophy as the McGill Male Athlete of the Year. He graduated in 2000 from the Days Hotel Faculty of Management with a commerce degree, majoring in marketing and international business. After retiring as an NHL player in 2013, he put his business degree to good use, working for Del Mar International, a Canadian customs broker based in Montreal. And he served there as vice president of sales and marketing He also served five years on the board of Ronald McDonald House and uh, was a a TV analyst on RDS. And then last year, he returned to the NHL as an executive in hockey operations, where his primary focus with the Tampa Bay Lightning has been budgeting, negotiation, and execution of player contracts, scheduling, salary caps, etc. Welcome to the show, Matthew Darsh. Thank you, bro. It's been a, a little while since we've had a chance to chat. Uh, you, first question, what was more thrilling, raising the Stanley Cup on the ice right after the game or drinking out of the cup in the dressing room with the, the boys? Uh, it's raising the, raising the, the cup. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's not the same as being a player, to be honest with you. Like, I've never won it as a player, and I can just, I want to call the cup as a player, but I, uh, uh, I can just imagine, because you're the one playing. I mean, trust me, I'm, I'm extremely proud and... I think, you know, you're part of it because, you know, we build a team and we made adjustments this year to make sure we can win. But uh, as a player, it's a, different, uh, it's a different story, but I was still extremely, extremely excited. And then, and then in the room, I drank a little bit. Obviously, in COVID times, you got to be careful what you share to drink. But I got the, the boys filled up the cup and they told me to take a knee and they basically dumped it all over me. So it was all good. <laughs> Wow. Uh, did you uh, have your family there on that last day? I know you were, I think, in the bubble for three months without uh, really having much interaction. Was your family able to be there at the, the last day or no? No, actually, I was in the bubble for two months, but my family came back to Montreal to visit friends and family uh, a month before I left. So and they came back to Tampa four days after I left for the bubble. So I didn't see my family for three months, but no, we, uh, 
What was that moment I was like? FaceTiming them on, I was FaceTiming them on the ice uh, after the game. Actually, when we're all surrounding uh, Gary Bettman, when he gave us a trophy, I was on FaceTime with uh, with my boys uh, at that time. So well, Wonderful. That must have been an emotional moment for you. Yeah, yes, for sure. Especially, you know, like I, I just moved last year. My boys were, they're 15 and 17 now. They were 14 and 16 when we moved, which wasn't easy for them, you know, like at that, that age to leave all your friends and go to a new city. So it was, uh, it was almost making it all worth it, you know, and uh, listen, I, 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 I was hoping I would win it in my first year, but the, it's tough to win a Stanley Cup. So I was very fortunate to come in in a good situation. And, uh, you know, it was very rewarding. My boys, you know, we came back, we had the parade, the boat parade and all this. And, you know, how two teenage boys are, they love when guys do stupid things. So they <laughs> love these, uh, the Patrick Maroon and uh, Nikita Kucherov. I've never seen him as happy and talkative. And mm-hmm. uh, Pat Maroon, no shirt on in the stadium. And uh, my boys loved it. Wonderful. Seeing a bunch of grown men like act like teenagers, they yeah. loved it. Uh, I mentioned that you, uh, in the intro, that you had... You're going to win a Stanley Cup ring, and your brother JP uh, uh, Darsh with the has, has won a Super Bowl with Kansas City. He's got the ring going. Uh, you guys really have this quite uh, yin and yang for, uh, up, you know, trying to updo outdo the other guy or trying to match what the other guy has won. It, it's it's really remarkable when you look back over the years that you played together at McGill. And he was primarily um, well, he was on football, and you played a little bit of football your first year, but. Primarily, you were in hockey, but you guys both were MVPs of your team. You were captains of your team. You were both academic all Canadians. You were both all conference all stars. All it's, it's incredible how you, you both signed your contracts on the same day. One in the NHL, one in the NFL. It's quite remarkable how much you guys have in common that way. And do you uh, do you have it like a competition going with him when you won the ring? Did you, did you call him and say uh, I got my ring too or something? Well, I couldn't let him be the only one with a ring. You know, I'm already the better-looking brother, so I better have <laughs> a ring also. No, but it's, it's funny because there's zero competition. I mean, when we were young, obviously, we're competitive, so we play sports, we compete. But throughout our career, we were each other's biggest fans. You know, I, I talked to him after every one of his football games, I, and he talked to me after every one of my hockey games. Because, uh, you know, when, when you're a professional athlete, there's a, a lot of things you go through. You know, like it's it's different than being, being in college, university, or minor hockey. It's a job. and you know, it's tough sometimes. Mentally, it can be tough. And you can talk about it with your wife, with your friends, but nobody really understands it unless you live it, you know? So it was it was a great uh, both sides, you know, depending on how things go. It was fun to be able to, even if it's different sports, it's the same business. So, uh, you know, we've always been very close. Yeah, we did sign our first. When I signed with Columbus and he signed with Seattle, the same day was actually, actually I still remember the date. It was May 8th because it was my parents' winning anniversary at the mm. same time. And, uh, you know, like he went to a Super Bowl as a player. I never went to the Stanley Cup final. Furthest I've been was the conference final with Montreal. And then when he won it this year, I was able to, it was in Miami. So I went to see him the day before with uh, my kids. And when they won it, it was very exciting. And uh, now, like, uh, JP's never watched hockey as much as he did this year. Because in Kansas City, there's not as much hockey. And He's busy. He's worried, you know. He's a doctor and all this, and he watch every single one of our games. And he called me after the games with his comments, and uh, so he said it's fun. I got back into hockey, so uh, it was fun. You know what's great about hockey compared to the other sport? The first people that touch the cup are the players. You know, like uh, there's no GM, there's no owner. Like it's 
it's the players that that play. And don't get me wrong. I mean, the owner, like especially the owner we have here in Tampa, who's an outstanding individual, one of the best owners in sport. Uh, even if he was there, he'd want the players to touch it first, you know. So it's 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 a, there's a special bond with the with the Stanley Cup that's different than every other sport. I feel like at the trophy is meant to go over your head. You hold it wide, you know, like it's, I don't know, it's, it, it, it's, it's fun. I brought it to my kids' practices last week. You know, I brought it one night and the next night I brought it again to, for my other son's practice. And the kids, they're in awe, you know, you have names on it. The other mm-hmm. trophies, there's no names on it. Right. So it's, uh, it's a pretty special trophy. It is indeed gorgeous, has quite a history, uh, even a, a great history of, of McGill, um, Uh, students winning. I think, if I remember right, you're the 14th uh, McGill person in the history of the Stanley Cup to to win and get nice. the name engraved on the cup. So it's been a while since we've had one. Well, I, Jamie Compton would be the last one from McGill. And Jamie Compton won with uh, Chicago, back-to-back with first Los Angeles, then Chicago around 2011 and 12 or 12 and 13. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite a uh, an achievement. Um, we're quite thrilled about it. Uh, I mean, I, I texted you right after the game, and uh, you sent me a, a gorgeous picture. I, I thank you very much for that. It was very timely. We got a story up on our website about that. Um, Remember when you when I sent you the one with the Prince of Wales? You asked yes. Me, Can I, uh, so I post I, it? I told you no. I want you to post it with the real one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's right. The, the Prince of Wales trophy. There's, there's quite a. Uh, Beautiful trophy too. Yeah, it, it's amazing how many teams don't want to touch that trophy, don't want to look at it. Well, they'll look at it, but they won't touch it uh, after winning it. But Tampa did did it this year. Your captain uh, Stamkos and others uh, lifted the trophy after winning the conference division, the, uh, the Prince of Wales. And uh, I think only Sidney Crosby did it once before with Pittsburgh, and he also won. Uh, his team also won that year. It, it, most teams just. They're focused on this jinx. I don't know what it is. I guess in sports you have a lot of that. There's but, no but you, impact on the finals, whether you touch it or not. That's what's funny. And you know, I like what John Cooper. He told our guys, "Say, so, you know, you win it, you grab it. You you, you won this thing, so mm-hmm. why not touch it?" Right. Well, I, I like. You no, know, I think it's a crock. Of, I mean, yeah. When you think of it, you go to final, you have fifty percent chance of winning. So whether you touch it or not, I mean, it's. There's no, like, people like to say, oh, it's bad luck to touch the cup before it's bad luck. Like, it, it has no impact right, whatsoever. Right. There's no scientific evidence that shows anything. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like those people that believe the earth is flat. You know, they'll never change their opinion, but it's it's great when you see a team lift that Pinter Wells trophy and then go on and win the cup. I'm I'm always thrilled. Whenever I see a team touch that, I, I, I cheer for that team to win the, win the Stanley Cup. So let's go back in time a little bit, uh, Matt, to your time at McGill. How did you end up there? You, you went uh, to the States first to a prep school, uh, I guess with the idea of maybe getting an NCAA hockey scholarship, and you ended up at McGill. So how did that, uh, I guess you, maybe you came because your brother was already at McGill. Yeah, well, I, I went to College Notre Dame, just like JP. We, I, I played, the, you know, by the time I was at Bantam, I stopped playing because there was no AAA back then. So I stopped playing AA because I, go, I was going to College Notre Dame. I was playing football. You know, it was just fun. We played all these, the sports possible. I went to prep school. Uh, I played the football, hockey, and on the golf team. And I had a D1 scholarship offer to UMass Lowell. And then... I keep telling Marty Raymond that he got me for free because he had no clue the hell I was. I got recruited for football and I even got a bursary from the Fondation de la Tête d'Excellence de Quebec. And everybody thinks I got it for hockey, but I actually got it for football. <laughs> so Charlie Bailey is the reason I ended up at McGill. 
has nothing. And, and I keep bugging Martin Raymond, who's a close, close friend and somebody I, I, I like very much. And I keep bugging him. I said, you have no merit of having me at McGill because Charlie Bailey did the whole thing. And Charlie, <laughs> at one point, told me, I talked to the hockey coach. If you come here, they'll let you play both. And uh, I said, perfect, I'm coming. It was a chance to play with JP and uh, coming for a great education. And um, But like I said, the, the reason I was at McGill is because of Charlie Bailey. Yes, Charlie was a legendary right recruiter at McGill for decades. I think 29 years he was at McGill. And he was known for his recruiting and his, uh, his great personal approach, letting guys try. Uh, two sports, which is very, very difficult at the university level to, to have your two schedules mesh so you can play two sports. Now, for you playing football, I think you were a linebacker uh, your first year. And long snapper. And Oh, yes, I forgot about that. And your brother. Uh, and the, I was the one long snapping that, that year, bro. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. The, everyone forgets about the long snapper. It's only when they, they miss a snap that they realize who the long snapper is. Um, so... I know that your first year you were you were heavy. I think around two thirty eight, if I remember. And and so how was that transition to the hockey team? Because you, I know that you. I guess you felt slow. Or you struggled because of your your when you switched from football to hockey in the same year. It was quite a challenge for you that first year. Well, it was only that is that I hadn't touched the ice since the April of the year before because all summer I trained for football and I played. Uh, I joined the hockey team in early November, so I hadn't skated in five six months and. Uh, I remember I had old equipment. I got there. So the equipment that the team issued, I mean, there was even less budget back then. I had the old uh, Cooper helmet and the big gloves. And I remember the first day, Marty said, all right, here we practice. We play like we practice. You know, we, we practice like if it was a game. I still remember Luke Fournier, who was a very good friend of mine, who I ran him in practice thinking that's what we have to do. The guys were like, who the hell is this fat guy coming in? And that was about 240. Uh a bit chunky, to be honest with you. Like, we didn't train the way we train now. That's in 96. So, uh, I actually had one assist my first year. And I, I was, I think, the only freshman that played every single game in uh, in football. And I had one assist um, during the hockey season. And then one exhibition game uh, against Plattsburgh State, I had a goal. But that's all I did my first year. So, I had a better football season. But I always liked hockey a bit, mu- a bit more. And to be honest with you, with I was in the... Uh, well, now it's called Des Hotels on the VCOM and the faculty, five classes of management. In, yeah, the, and the, yeah, and the, the Bachelor of Commerce. And uh, in the winter, we would have the indoor football practice from 7 a.m. to 8 30. I had my classes all day, and then I would go to hockey practice at night. It was just too much. And and it, it, it kind of hurt me to call Charlie Bailey to tell him, you know, I'm picking hockey. And people were surprised because I had a better football season than hockey season. But Hockey was always something I liked a little bit more than football, and luckily it worked for me. And uh, it's funny, yeah, you remember those years at Pearl, like we had such a great relationship, football and hockey. We'd mm. go to their games. You remember they sat behind a penalty box. Yeah. They came with signs, and they were harassing when we played Trois-Rivières. Anybody had a penalty, they would just harass the poor bastard in the box. <laughs> and uh, so it was actually a lot of fun uh, uh, yeah, being was, at McGill for four years. It, you know, you're there's a we graduated nine seniors my last year, so nine of us, you know, from Dave Gould to Dave Grenier to Mathieu Boisvert to uh, Benoit Ajat and guys like that. We all did our four years together in college, which was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, because I never thought I'd play pro, so I came back to get an outstanding education and uh, play with my brother, play two sports that I love, and met your wife in the in the faculty of management as well. 
Yeah, that's where we met. Uh, we had a class together, and uh, now we've been married 18 years. My son's a senior in high school in the U.S., and he's uh, he's applying to McGill next year. He wants to go back to Montreal, which I love because it's a lot cheaper than uh, college in the U.S. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess your grandparents would be thrilled. Your your parents would be thrilled. His grandparents, uh, because they yeah. uh, they they certainly followed your career and JP's career. They were at every game of. It was really uh, like a, a big family when the, the Darsh family was there at a game. And, uh, they would yeah. bring their friends and neighbors, and uh, it was quite the uh, the event whenever uh, the Darsh boys were playing on the McGill uh, playing field. Well, for sure, but you know, like our parents never missed a game, but they never pushed us. When I was 15 years old, I told my dad, you know what, this year I don't feel like playing hockey. We had a cottage up north, we were skiing. I don't feel like playing hockey, I just want to ski. Fine. And then uh, I was banned him. I was 15 years old. A lot of dads, they, they, when they're crazy hockey parents, they were like, what the hell? And I was a good player. And they said, what's wrong with you? And they yeah, fine. And then we skied that year. I just played for College of Tradam, a few tournaments here and there. And then I missed hockey and I, I started again. So they were very supportive. But when we both signed our pro contracts, my mom was more happy. And you know my parents very well, Pearl. She was more happy that we both graduated from high school, from uh, college. Than, uh, than that we signed pro. You know, even when we were living at home at Miguel, we'd come back at night at the table and we were talking about a hockey practice, football practice, and you always had the other end of the, uh, the table. My mom would go, uh, so how were your classes today, boys? You know, <laughs> so it was always a balance between both. Yeah, and, and I know that you were always trying to keep up with JP in the academic side because he was in science and eventually into medicine. Uh, he played two years at McGill while he was in medicine, which is quite the challenge, as we all know, uh, through the success of Laurent Dubonnet-Tardif, who went through the same type of thing. Uh, and, but I believe it was your last year at McGill, you also reached academic all-Canadian status, which uh, I imagine made your mom happiest of all the awards that you won at McGill. Yes, I mean, you know, JP had the Rush Jackson in football, and I got the equivalent in hockey, the Randy Gregg, uh, which I always joke I was a nominee for that, and the, the CIAU... Uh, MVP. I didn't get the MVP. I only got the academic one. And that's what my mom said. That's one's more important. I said, yeah, mom, but I got some pride. I wanted to win the other one, too. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, do you remember your first day on campus, Matt? Uh, yes, but, you know, like it's funny because uh, I do. But my first day on campus was before school because the football camp started before right. uh, uh, school started so we and you know i knew um obviously my brother so right away i i knew a lot of guys on the team uh and i came in with uh, louis duchine who was a close friend of mine from high school benoit richard and guillaume couture and all these guys that i went to high school with so that there's so many people it's not like when i went to prep school where my parents dropped me off and i knew nobody on campus uh at mcgill i knew a lot of people and uh, uh Yeah. And JP was already one of the top players on the team, so right, right away, uh, you know, I got a lot of respect. And uh, Charlie Berry, Mike Morovich, which Mike Morovich is the reason I went to prep school when he was at Selwyn House and we met him. So Mike Morovich was coaching, and uh, and Charlie, Charlie's the is an awesome uh, Charlie Berry is an awesome individual. Uh, so I always I really enjoyed playing for him too. He treated. Uh, players at respect so uh, it was great indeed you know uh, Charlie Bailey has been retired as the coach uh, I think it's 19 years now and he still calls me or I still call him I would say at least once a month uh, he, he called me in fact this summer a couple times to invite me out to uh, have lunch he's a legendary uh, figurehead uh, I'm glad he's in the uh, McGill Sports Hall of Fame and uh, I really cherish uh, all the time that I spend with him he's Just one of those real decent human beings who has 
uh, and the, the interests of the person at uh, utmost. You know, he 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 had a number of players that were in the same boat as you. They played football and hockey, and he lost a few. Derek Prohar was one that went from football to hockey, and um, the running back from Winnipeg, um, Dan Pronick, was in the one. military after his yeah. guild. It was outstanding. He served. Uh, so he, he served our country. So he's a great, great person, Derek, too. Yeah, there were, there were, I would say, maybe four or five guys that went from football to hockey, recruited by Charlie Bailey for the football team, and he lost them. But you know what? I asked him about that a few times over the years, and he said, hey, listen, you bring them in and you want them to be happy, and if they want to do something else, they do something else. Like, he didn't seem bitter about the, you know, the time that he spent on um, bringing recruits in and then they switched sports. Uh, and there weren't many, but, but that's four Charlie, or five. That, that's Charlie Bailey, bro. You know, he had a huge impact. Even if I only played one year, he had a big impact on my career. He had a huge impact on JP's career because JP played five years for him and always uh, remained friends. And uh, it's funny, even before that, one of the coaches in our lives, me and JP, that had a major impact because we were both known as hard workers and where we learned that work ethic is a former McGill player that played for Charlie Bailey, Denis Touchette. Oh, yes. He coached us at College Notre Dame. And Denis, like, and even I wrote, when I wrote my essay to, uh, to get into prep school and I've told people over the years and I think I've mentioned it in my Hall of Fame speech is he showed me what work ethic was. And, you know, he, he learned from Charlie Bailey. Also, he played in the 87 Vanya cup team correct, uh, with correct. Mike souls and, yeah. and Denny's and unbelievable person. So the Miguel bond goes far, you know, like it's uh, it started where we're in high school without knowing that it was the Miguel bond, but it was Denny, a former Miguel player yeah. that had a major impact on uh, my career and, uh, and JP's career. And we were 15, 16 years old at that point when Denny coached us, but the work ethic he, he showed both of us was, uh, yeah. you know, that you couldn't, you couldn't cut the corners with Denny. And uh, so, you know, like that's where, that's how deep the McGill link can be. Yeah. I remember Denny quite well, especially on that 87 football team. He was a, a defensive back uh, for that's the McGill. And um, if I, recollect correctly he was the key one like for, a lot of people may not remember or know but uh, the game before the vanny cup the 87 vanny cup game we uh mcgill went to saint mary's in halifax to play the semifinal and saint mary's had this wonderful quarterback chris flynn who was all world he was the doug flutie of canada really he, he set every record he was unstoppable running and passing and so they had a trick play and ran all the way downfield to score to go ahead uh, 29-27 with, mm, I want to say, 30 seconds left in the game in the Atlantic Bowl, the national semifinal. And Chris Flynn, instead of just grounding the ball and uh, running it out, running out the clock, he threw a long bomb. He wanted to burn us, even though he had the lead. He threw a long bomb in the end zone. It was intercepted by Denny Touchet in the end zone. And in the last that last minute, McGill marched all the way downfield, kicked the winning field goal to win 30-29. So I always remember Denny Touchette for that. Yeah. Uh, You're already in your 20th year at McGill at that point, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 87. I can't do the math, but yeah, I, I would know. I would have been uh, in my 11th year, I think, at McGill back then. Uh, I'm now in and year 42. And I'm not saying that because you're the one talking. You know who had a big impact on our career, too, is, is, is someone like you. Like, for me to get recruited for the NHL at McGill, I still remember, like, your, you know, you always had your your write-ups after games. And, uh, and you know, when teams started coming and seeing me, you did press releases that I would read it. I was like, is he really talking about me? Because how you would just make it. And, you know, like, you were great to get us known, you know, as soon as... Uh, as uh, and McGill is lucky to have you because even now, like 
from afar, like I keep tabs on what's going on with the hockey program because of the emails you sent. And, uh, uh, and I still remember back then, you know, when the devils were the first team to come in and watch me play at Miguel. Lou What's that? Lou Lamarillo, the general manager. Yeah. Lou Lamarillo came, but it started with uh, Claude Carrier, Mike Carrier's dad, who was a scout. And then when you would send out these, these releases to teams, to newspaper, newspaper, like the Gazette, the Journal de Montréal with Serge Lamings, they started covering us because you, you, uh, I'll say you sugarcoated a lot of our achievements and you made (laughs) it sound uh, great. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it helped having people come and see us and, and, and get attention. It was it was a great time, and the, the Journal de Montréal was was certainly instrumental in your career. Uh, I remember Serge Lemix writing articles about uh, your achievements and saying, "Hey, Lou Lamarillo, the general manager of the New Jersey Jets, are watching the game at McGill. Uh, watched the game last night at McGill, but there was no uh, where are the Canadians. Where is Ray Jean Hull, the general manager? And then Ray Jean Hull after that made a headline in the Journal the the next day." I remember our next game in Trois-Rivières. Rachel Hall actually drove to Trois-Rivières to, to watch you and, and the team play. I got hurt in the first period with a sprained MCL. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Just uh, great recollections. Uh, I'm wondering, um, we can go back to your uh, your time at McGill um, uh, academically. Did you, uh, did you have uh, uh, like a, a favorite course, a favorite professor, um, something that that you recollect now that you really enjoyed going to uh, a special class or an individual who, who teaches the class. Well, I always like the marketing because you know my personality. I talk a lot and I, I'm I'm easy to get along with. I'll talk to anybody. I'm not shy, so I enjoyed marketing. And we had, there was actually two professors I really enjoyed that I remember more than others. Um, one of them was Omar Toulon, and the other one that actually did Radio Montreal that was great to me and was uh, Robert Soroka. Mm. And uh, I remember one year when I went to World University game, you know, like, you know, some professors, they love athletes, some others, they couldn't care less. Uh, and Robert Soroka thought it was so cool that I was representing uh, uh, the country at the World University Games. He did everything to accommodate me with what I was missing. And uh, he was always very supportive. And even after I had graduated, he kept in touch a little bit and followed my career. I'm sure if we, uh, if we hear from him, I'm sure he... I'd be shocked if he doesn't know that I'm in Tampa and I won a cup and all that. So he was always extremely supportive. So that was great. And Omar Toulon uh, was just a, and my wife had him too. And we talked about him. He was just a friendly professor. His, his classes were fun. And uh, not that I had a close, close relationship with him. Like I had a bigger relationship with uh, uh, Robert Soroka, but the, uh, these are two professors that, you know, stand out a bit more from the management faculty. Hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned your wife, uh, Stephanie. Uh, she was in the Des Hotels fac- faculty of, of management as well. Uh, do you remember the first day that you saw her and then you just said like, wow, that's someone I want to meet? <laughs> how, did, how did that first yeah, she keeps saying that The first day that I think she, she keeps saying that we met the time before, but she was dressed the same, so I didn't notice her as much. That's what she tells me. <laughs> But uh, she actually, um, she was friends because of work. Because when she got to McGill, she could barely speak English and she didn't know anybody. But she met uh, Suzanne Leroux, Benoit Leroux's sister, mm. who was a teammate of mine with, uh, with McGill. And they had a class with Dave Gord, who was my centerman pretty much almost four years at McGill. And they did a group project together. And at one point, we, um, we met each other. And... 
just like that, you know, we were introduced and then we started having a class together and uh, uh, started giving her lifts after. Like she lived in Repentigny, she'd park wow. her car in the East End and take the Ooh. metro. And I said, oh, it's my way. I'll, it's in my way. I'll, I'll drop you off. But I was living <laughs> in Gilles-Saint-Laurent, which wasn't. Uh, were there any lessons that you uh, you you got from the uh, Desjardins faculty that were beneficial to your uh, negotiations? Like you you were involved in the in the player lockout where you you were a, a player rep. Um, I think it was for the Canadians at the time, uh, or you're in your role at, uh, in Tampa, or, or when you became uh, hired when you were hired by Del Mar International. Were there any strategies or lessons that you, you took from that uh, those management programs that you felt uh, prepared you, helped you down the road? Well, I think it's more like going through all these classes and not, like being able to analyze. You know, you get information, you have to analyze it, understand it. I think it's because obviously I studied marketing, international business. So, yeah, there's some, some themes that you, but even if you go in the business world, most of it, I always feel like university show. Yeah, it shows you the basic, and then because every every job is specific, but it shows you a way of thinking, a way of analyzing information you get. And I think it helped me probably understand the issues that was part of the negotiating committee for the last lockout. You know, we negotiated a five billion dollar collective bargaining agreement, which is not five million five billion this year because of the COVID, but. Uh, And then to get in the business world. And what I what I learned at McGill helped me in all this. What I learned at Del Mar for five, six years helped me in my job now because I manage the team and that's like what we do here. Uh, you negotiate with clients now here. Clients are players. So it's, uh, you take some, I mean, there's, there's, it's not like, oh, you learn one thing and that's all you can do, but it's all things that you pick up everywhere. And I think it's, it's uh, understanding information, analyzing information and, And all these things that carries with you from from having the degree, right? And I guess networking is a huge part of it too. Uh, initially, uh, when you got that uh, job at at Del Mar, uh, you met that guy through a, a sports celebrity uh, breakfast that yep. you went there for the Cummings uh, Center for Jewish Seniors. You were there. I remember they they had called me, I think three years in a row, trying to get you to show up at this thing and. It was a nine o'clock breakfast on a Sunday morning after the Habs played a game on a Saturday night. And sometimes uh, uh, they had the, the guys that didn't dress or the, the guys that play on the fourth line, whatever. Those guys would have to practice on Sunday. So you couldn't make a couple of those. I think it was two or three years in a row they had asked me, how do we get uh, get a hold of Matthew Darshan? So it, it just didn't work for a couple of years. And then you finally were able to get it fitted in your schedule to go to that nine o'clock breakfast. And I believe you were sitting at the same table with the people from Del Mar. And that's how you got that job yeah. offer. Is that right? Yeah, Mike Wigan is one of the owners of Del Mar with the two Cutler brothers. They, uh, he, he's the chair of that uh, Cummings uh, breakfast. And uh, I remember I remember when I played with Montreal, you always asked me about a lot of times is, My kids were young playing hockey, so I traveled all year. And then the Sunday is the day off, and that's the only time of the year that I can watch them at hockey. So I always said, you know, because not that I didn't think the, the charity was good, but if you say yes to everything, you'll, every single day you'll have an event when you play right. for the Canadians. So I always said no. And that year was after the lockout, so I just retired. They were honoring Don Fear as a sports personality. So I had just spent six months with Don to do the kind of the CBA negotiation. So I decided to show up and then Mike Wigan came to me and he asked me to go to lunch and, uh, 
And then that's when he talked to me about the business and would you be interested in coming with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I started with Del Mar and I had six awesome years there. The, the, the way they treated me, that's, that's how I was another thing about taking this job was, you know, I had a hard time telling them like uh, when I decided to take this job, when I, I went to sit in the office with the two brothers and actually their father, the founder of the company, Mr. Cutler, was was actually in the office he's not there that often but because he's he's mostly retired and i sat with the four of them and i told them here i have an opportunity and they knew from the start that honestly i've had opportunities i had job offers when i was at del mar i never even considered them but the only reason i would i would have left del mar was to go back into hockey but in a good situation and i I got an opportunity to come in at this level and hockey is, 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 doesn't happen very often with somebody that I respect unbelievably and Julian Breezeball. And, uh, and I decided to come and just to show you what kind of classy guy Julian is. He didn't know the people at Del Mar. He doesn't know them, everything. When I accepted the job and he knew, I told him, he asked me their number and he called them to say, sorry, not sorry, but you know, like uh, I'm, everything that Matt learned with you guys is gonna help him in this job, which I thought was a very classy move by Julian to call the owners of Del Mar. He, he owes them nothing. It's not right. like if he's, you know, they're, they're another hockey team and you want to do it right. You know, he's offering me a job, I'm taking it, but I thought that it showed how classy it was. Hmm. And, and that's a, another uh, example of um, networking, which, uh, uh, the more, the longer I go along, networking is almost the key to life. I find um, you met Julian Brisebois when you were playing for the Habs farm team in Hamilton, right? And that's yes, where your connection was, started. Uh, there, he was the assistant GM in Montreal. Therefore, that he was the GM in the, um, in Hamilton. And Julian's actually two months younger than me. He, you know, he's a young, bright executive, is a lawyer, MBA, and we we became friends. And every time he was in Tampa in the summer, we'd go to one dinner with our wives. We had never talked about me joining him. So when he took the job from Steve Eisenman, he took it in, in September. All the work was done. So he didn't hire anybody. And we talk every month on the phone. You know, we like talking hockey. And he, sometimes he asked me my opinion on players I paid with, you know, because he does his due diligence if he does something. And uh, then in April that year, they were playing in Montreal at the end of the year. And uh, that's the year they, you know, they won 62 games. And then they, they got swept in the first round by Columbus. And he asked me to go meet him at the Ritz in the morning. That's where they stayed for breakfast. So I knew he wanted to talk to me about something. And then he offered me this. And, you know, like two weeks later, I flew to Tampa with my family to come look at schools, houses before I make a decision. And then I went back to Montreal. I called him. I said, all right, I'm coming. And Yeah, I met Julian in Montreal. And we stayed friends over the years. And uh, So I, I, gather, I, I gather you see networking as key uh, like for students, for sure. uh, you know, like for Miguel students that might be listening to the podcast, uh, especially if they're in management. Uh, uh, but I think in, in all uh, all aspects of uh, the academic world, uh, the importance of networking is really the key to uh, moving on in life and, and making bigger steps. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the business world, too, like the networking, like a lot of I was the vice president of sales at Belmar and you go to events. We had a. Delmar is a loge at the Bell Center. We bring clients. A lot of it is, is you know, at the end of the day, like in, in freight forwarding, uh, custom brokerage, there's a lot of other good companies that do that. The client might go with someone he's comfortable with, someone he knows. And uh, uh, through my years at Montreal, I met, I was fortunate enough to go to an event that you meet executives from these companies. And 
few of them I called, hey, I'm in this business now, can we meet? And uh, and then, you know, like that's that then you have somebody that likes you, introduces you to somebody else. So in, in business and anything, networking uh, plays a huge, huge part in uh in your job, and I don't care the job. Networking makes a difference. Okay, now uh, I want to just return to the the student life for a minute. Did did you um, have a favorite study spot uh, on the campus? Uh, to be honest with you, we where we spent a lot of time, and I shouldn't say that because we wasted a lot of hours there too. Was in the it was called the Shatner Building back then. It was the cafeteria. We'd go with our lunches there, and sometimes we spend two, we call it les amateurs de sport. We'd talk about sports. We'd bring the Journal de Montréal and look at the headlines and discuss hockey and like really playing like uh, like fans are right now, you know, commenting on what's happening with the Habs and uh, uh, with the football and the hockey guys. We spent, during my four years, I spent hours in, that ca- in a cafeteria. Sometimes we'd, mm. we'd study, we'd go to the library and study a bit, but... Uh, Honestly, we spend so much time uh, over there. But if not most of the work, if I'd finish my class at practice at six at night, well, I, I do a bit of work there. But uh, a lot of it I did at home. And if you ask my wife, she, she'll tell you that I didn't study enough. <laughs> were, were you one of the guys that studied on the bus? I notice a lot of guys do study on the bus. I don't know how you can read on a bus, like the, the way it vibrates. You, you, your eyes go up and down on the on the page. But were you one of those guys that would study on the bus? When I had to, <laughs> when I had no choice because we're coming back Sunday from Toronto and like, oh God, I got an exam tomorrow, so I better uh, get at it. And to be honest with you, like, I was fortunate that I, honestly, one thing at McGill that I did though is I won't, I won't BS you telling you I was the hardest working student because, you know, even my wife jokes that she took the books after me and they would still crack open because they, all, <laughs> they were almost due. But one thing I didn't do is I rarely miss class. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I lived at home. My parents were paying for my school. It's like, I don't, if you don't want to go to a class, I don't care, but you're not staying in the house. You're leaving. So I was at school I had to wait for practice at night. So, uh, I didn't miss classes very often. Okay. So, you know, most of the time the professors, they don't on the exam, they'll put stuff that they talked about in class and I would listen in class. I wouldn't take crazy notes and all this. I'm the first one to admit it, but I got a good memory. So that, that was half the battle right there is I rarely miss classes. Yeah, it's, I was kind of like that too. I, I didn't have the athletic side uh, that you had, but but uh, when I was a student at McGill, the um, uh, I believe that I only, re- as, I, as I recollect, I only missed one class in my entire four years as a student. Uh, it was the day that Rick Monday hit that home run in 1981 and the Expo season was over. I just, I had my head in my hands at the stadium. I must have stayed at that stadium. Oh, God knows, an hour, two hours, but just, I don't, I wasn't, I had tears running down my cheeks. I don't think I was sobbing, but I definitely had tears. And that was the only the time I decided to skip a class that I can remember in my university career. Uh, that was part of... Uh the university life, you know, yeah, it's all serious. It's, it's school and all this, but let's face it. Anybody that's in college, you have the, you have the fun time, the party time. That's part of college life mm-hmm. and uh, university life. So we have plenty of those, that's for sure. Uh, what do you recollect about putting on the McGill uniform for the first time, whether it be football or hockey? Do you remember that day that you put it on for the first time in a game? Uh, you know what? It was just like, hey, it's a new team. You know, like it's, uh, all right, I'm playing university sports now. Now I'm the rookie. You know, I was the... 
the top guy on my prep school team in football, the top guy in hockey. Now I get there and I, I think I was a good player, but I was all right. You, you know, you got to earn your stripes again. And, uh, and you know what? The big thing about Miguel too, not only sports is since I graduated, what I realized and I lived in the U S is the reputation it has uh, around the world, you know, and it's funny. You remember Ryan O'Byrne that played for Montreal? I talked to him this right. year. In the when he retired, he went back to Cornell to finish his undergrad, which is a great university. He went to Northwestern Kellogg School of Business, which is the top, one of the top business schools in the U.S., uh, doing his MBA. And at one point, they had some NBA games, whatever. And, and this, people would ask him, "Where are you from?" I'm from Canada. And he said, "I would say." He told me, "Darshia." Nine out of ten people would tell me, "Oh, did you go to McGill?" <laughs> That's how what people people you know, especially people from those schools. You're talking about Cornell and Ivy League school. You're talking about the Kellogg School of Business at Northwestern University, which is one of the top probably five business schools in the U.S. So those people that think higher education, when they talk about Canada, they say, oh, "Did you go to McGill?" So that's the notoriety the university has globally because there's a lot of good universities concordia is a great university university of montreal is great but i just feel you go outside of montreal people know miguel yeah it's it certainly and, has. I, and it hit me like even like playing pro americans or other canadians oh yeah you you, you graduated from college where'd you go miguel they're like oh wow you went to miguel you know that's the impression you always get so that's uh that's what's awesome by, by uh, graduating from McGill is that notoriety it has anywhere. And and I gather uh, like you played in a lot of towns, uh, a lot of different uh, teams, AHL and NHL, and uh, throughout your pro career, uh, I gather you in almost every city you would run into people that um, either knew you or they knew someone from McGill or there's some, there was some sort of connection uh, that must have happened uh, somewhat frequently. Oh, for sure, for sure, like. Uh... You know, you go in, in towns, especially in bigger cities, and uh, you hear about uh, McGill. Even uh, when I was with the PA, you know, you uh, the NHL PA, the negotiation, Don Fear, who's a brilliant guy, American, but he knows about McGill, you know, and uh, you'll have a link. And uh, it's funny, on that negotiating committee, we had, uh, you know, George Peros and Kevin Westgarth from Princeton and Jeff Halpern, my good friend, who's one of the assistant coaches here, too. He's, he's a... Uh, Princeton grad, yeah, Dominic Moore is the Harvard grad, you know, like he, Mike Camilleri, Michigan University is a great university, like, but I <laughs> got no shame in saying I'm from McGill with all these guys, you know, to me, it's right up there with all these big Ivy Leagues, so it's, uh, it was great. Now, would you say that um, you have uh, one or two key influential coaches in your career? Can you, can you um, narrow it down to one or two guys that were very influential for, to you? Well, Pro, you know, like I, I didn't, I've never spent eight years in the same place with the same coach. I switch a lot. So it's tough to really, uh, I enjoyed John Tortorella here, but even before that, it, it, it sounds scripted because we're doing a podcast about McGill, but to be honest with you, Martin Ramon and Guy Boucher mm. had a huge, I've known Guy since I'm 13 years old. When he was playing Cégep Saint-Laurent, he was friends with my sister. He come to the house. He was 18. I was 13. And, you know, like a, I had one assist my first year. Second year, Guy's the assistant to Marty. And he told me, all right, after practice, you're going to stay with me. We're going to work on some things. I went from one goal to like, uh, you'll probably know more than me, like 20 goals in 26 games or something like that. My second year, 21 goals uh, because Guy worked with me. And Marty coached me. He's the only coach that coached me for four years. 
it was an outstanding coach. And same thing, the, the work ethic, the compete level. And and they're also one of the big reasons I played for Montreal because I signed my two-way contract with Montreal to basically beat a veteran. I was 30 years old in Hamilton. And I still remember, you know, Guy would have individual meetings. Guy does a lot of the uh, psychological stuff. And so we're sitting there and I say, Guy, you know what? I know I'm here to help the young guys. Because he said, oh, what do, do you see your role on the team? And he told me and he stopped me and excuse my language. He said, you know, bullshit, Darcy. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, whoa. He said, yeah, that's part of your role here. But you too, you want to get back to the NHL. You know, it was the first time because at that point, I'm, I played a year in Tampa, full year. The next year... I end up in uh, Portland, Maine. I'm 30 years old, uh, 29, 30 years old. I'm in the minors. You know, like, all right, I was a very good AHL player, uh, offensive AHL player. I was like, all right, maybe that's my role. I can make decent money in the AHL. I'll be a good veteran and all this. And he's the first one to kind of give me a kick in the butt and saying, like, you're good enough to play in the NHL. You know, your goal is to, yeah, as you try to achieve your goal to the NHL, you're going to be a good veteran for these young guys. We had PK Subban and Ryan Wine, guys like that. And, you know, like we, we, we played a big role with PK and Sergey Kostitsin got sent down. So he was kind of, uh, now they made him my roommate to try to straighten him out and all that. And that year I went up and never went, I never went back down. I spent three years in Montreal and I, maybe I needed that little kick in the, mm-hmm. in the butt to say, you know what, me too. I want to play in the NHL and to, Never mind the NHL, it was the Montreal Canadiens, a team I grew up idolizing. So these guys had a big influence. And even now, even this year during the season, I talked to Guy quite. I actually talked to Guy three days ago. I talked to Marty and, uh, you know, we always stayed in touch. And I was, they, they were at my wedding and, uh, uh, like, it's, uh, you know, all those, it started at McGill. Yeah, it, and now you mentioned you're playing for the Canadians. A, a, a local boy from from this city gets to play for the Habs uh, at near the end of your career. I mean, that first game must have been very emotional, or it's very special to you. Yeah, it parents. was almost more than my first game in the NHL with Columbus. To be honest with you, you know, because that summer Tortorella, who I had in Tampa, got fired, and I didn't get re-signed was in New York. We were talking with New York. I'm thinking, all right, I know Torts likes me. Maybe I should sign in uh, in New York. And Montreal was aggressive. They gave me what I, the, 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 the contract I wanted in the minors. And then I remember JP told me, like, uh, my wife to this day, she's still mad at me that I listened to my brother more than, uh, than her. But uh, he goes, you know, Matt, you play one game for Montreal, you're forever uh, an alumni, you know? So, yeah, you know what? And then Guy actually ended up with a job in, in, in Hamilton, which definitely helped for me to go. And, uh, and look, I ended up playing most of my games after I was 30. And uh, mm-hmm. Montreal is the team I have the most NHL games with. And, uh, you know, I had two playoff runs in Montreal, and uh, it was awesome. Right. Uh, what about uh, what you drew from your... Uh, from your time at McGill, like time management skills, things like that. Did you did you find that the uh, the practices, the training sessions, the the ha- the habits that you developed there, the, uh, that you had to do pretty much daily, if not uh, more than daily, uh, did they transfer to you uh, in the working world? Those, uh, those type of habits. Yeah, yes, for sure. Because uh, you know, the last few years when I was in Montreal, I had you know I had a pretty big job in uh, Del Mar. And then uh, uh, I ran a prep school league in Quebec. 
I did RDS. So I basically had two jobs. Well, three. One of them was volunteer, but I spent hours and hours every week on building the prep school league. We had 26 schools at the end and all that. So I was able, people always say, how can you do all this? I said, honestly, that's one thing, especially when I was playing football, hockey, and having five classes a semester mm -hmm. that, yeah, I like having fun. But at one point, uh, you know, if uh, these are my three or three hours during the day and I better study because I won't have time. So yeah, that definitely uh, uh, helped for sure. Yeah. That, that first year must've been really tough to learn the management the, the skills because Football practice uh, was, I don't know, that's probably 25, 35 hours a week when you're in football. And then when you switched over to hockey, it was almost as many hours, if not more. Uh, and then you have the longer road trips, uh, traveling. It must have been quite a, a juggling uh, match for you to try and uh, manage all those things in your first year. I guess it gets easier as you move on into your second, third and senior years. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, like, you're, first of all, you're getting comfortable. And my last year, because from prep school, I had some a, uh, advanced placement courses that gave me college credit instead of having five classes at two semesters of four classes my last year. So, you know, right, away, right there, you have one less class a semester. And, uh, uh, yeah, they, they, and you're, you're getting more comfortable, too. And you, you know where to pick your spots. And, you know, you, you're, you know better how to study for university work. And, right. no. and it's, uh, it was great. What about the the challenge? Of, it was probably easier for you because you were probably bilingual by then. But the the challenge for a francophone to go into uh, school in in English, you know, uh, it it's must be a bit of a culture shock. Uh, there's definitely a, you know two different cultures out there. Did you find that that was something that was very easy for you to adjust to? And what what would you say for uh, some advice maybe for a francophone who's trying to debate? Uh, should they go to this school? Should they go to that school? Can they handle the learning in a second language? Oh, well, I, I don't think the culture was a big shock because, I mean, you're still in Montreal, so the culture of the city is the same. But uh, I went to prep school before in the U.S., so the English was... When I, got, when I got to the U.S., I mean, I understood everything in English. I still have a bit of an accent, but I had a real thick accent back then. And, you know, like, English is an easier language to learn than French, let's be honest. Like, it's uh, to write and properly in French. Every rule has five exceptions, mm -hmm. so... Uh, that's why I'm happy now. My kids, when we got back to Montreal, we always spoke French to them, but because we lived in the U.S., they would speak French with an English accent, and we speak English with a French accent, and we'd speak French to them, they'd answer back in English. But now, my boys, like you see them, you speak to them in French, oh yeah, they're French, you speak to them in English, wait, they're, they're, they're English. Like Here, people think they have an accent because they have a Kenyan accent, mm -hmm. not a French accent, they just have a Kenyan accent. Mm -hmm. But they're perfectly, perfectly bilingual. You wouldn't know if you speak to them in either languages that it's not, you know, like they. So that's a, that's a, they're very lucky because that's a that's a that's an asset to have in life to yes. to speak more than one language and uh, it's great. That's why I hope my son will get into McGill and in next year because it's even the McGill connection you make after you know a, a good example is Mike Babcock. He coached in Cincinnati when I started. One time we shook hands after a game. That's it. Uh, you know, he knew uh, it was Miguel, obviously. And uh, a couple of times when he coached in Detroit, I was there in Montreal. He, you know, the trainer would come and, or he'd just come by the room after. And he, I remember one time he gave me something to bring back to you, Pearl. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when I retired in 2012, 
so I announced my retirement, all that. You probably, I think you sent out a press release again. And I get a phone call on my phone, a number from Michigan, because I, you know, Babs, I, I knew he was from McGill and he knew I was from McGill, but we, we shook hands a couple of times, but that's it. We had no relationship. They didn't have anybody's phone. And it's a Michigan, it's a Michigan number. And I pick up and it was Babs calling me just to congratulate me on a career. Oh, he was proud, you know, mm. a McGill guy, which I thought, and if, if I need anything, uh, uh, here's my number. I thought it was very, very classy of him, you know, because we had no relationship before, but just that McGill connection right. phase, you know, so uh, that was a very classy move by uh, by Mike. Yeah, it was, uh, I remember that day like yesterday. Uh, the other, one of the other moments that I remember uh, recent times was um, when you were inducted with your brother to the McGill Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I, like I know you guys both quite well, and you guys were always laughing and joking. But that day, you guys were quite emotional uh, about that induction ceremony. Do you do you recall that and how you what you were going through at the time? Yeah, I was disappointed myself that I kind of choked up a bit. You know, I thought <laughs> it was tougher than that, but uh, it's more. My kids were there, you know, like, uh, and you know, you're going through all this. And it wasn't that long after I retired, and you know all the sacrifice your family made, especially. I mean, yeah, my parents and all this, but especially my wife and my kids. And I was, and I remember during the speech when I looked at them and I talked about them. That's when I choked up a bit. So uh, you know, we're very proud. I mean, McGill's uh, is a renowned university uh, around the world. It's a big uh, hot, uh, sports history, and then to get inducted in the, you know, like. It's not just a rinky-dink Hall of Fame. It's the McGill University Hall of Fame, you know? So it was an honor, and uh, JP was there, the whole family was there, and uh, my kids, we wish I never let them miss a day of school, even when they're sick, but we let them miss school to come to the ceremony. So, uh, yeah, it was neat. It was very neat. And to share it, it's another thing that I shared with JP, and I know, uh, I'm sure you guys did it on purpose to wait till we had, we both, because I, I retired probably three years after JP, so I know you have to be, you wanted to make it that we do it at the same time, which was great. And now the next picture I'll send you will be my ring uh, next to JP's ring. Hopefully mine is bigger. <laughs> I I can't wait to see that ring and the, and the two rings together. It's uh, quite uh, a remarkable uh, career that you've had, quite an achievement. Uh, uh, so uh, you've been out of uh, playing for a number of years. Do you still do a regular fitness uh, routine? Uh, have you had any habits that have come back to uh, from your playing days where you work out on a daily basis? Yeah, I had uh, habits, but very bad habits for a <laughs> while. I played at 215. At one point, I was up to almost 265. Wow. And when I moved to Tampa, I had lost a little bit in Montreal because, in, you know, I had all the best intentions, but, you know, I got a, a fit moment at one point. You know, like I trained so hard. I was nutritionist in the summer. You know, my friends always made fun of me. I would go to a barbecue. I'd bring my chicken and my veggies and I weighed my food and, <laughs> And, you know, I traveled for work. I'd go to China. I'd go to all over the place. And, you know, you go with clients. You have all the best intentions of having a salad and a sparkling water. Next thing you know, you got steak potatoes and a glass of wine. Right. And, I, and I admit it, I let myself go. And I felt disgusting. And I, when I moved to Tampa with the stress before moving, I'd gained a little bit of weight. And I remember that I was very careful for two, three weeks until the, my uh, medical in September at training camp because we take a medical with the players too. I was 260 pounds, and actually, I weighed myself today. I was 228 pounds, mm. so I lost like 32 pounds in, in one year since I've been in Tampa. Which, two things: first of all, it's a flexible schedule, and I have a gym in my office because my office is at the arena. 
Uh, it's nice 12 months a year. Like today I ran 10K on Bayshore. The rink is right on the water. There's a, a street called Bayshore and there's a big bike and running path on it. So I run by the water for 10K and I came back. So I'm in a, an environment where it's uh, it's easier to train. I used to play a lot of golf in Montreal, which now I switched it to tennis because Julian doesn't play golf. He plays tennis. So we play uh, in the bubble. We, I train 62 out of 65 days because, mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, there's not that much to do. And in Toronto, we had tennis court and I started playing. We started playing pickleball, like me and Julian against uh, Columbus's GM, assistant GM. And then one time we played against Mark Bergervain and Scott Mellenby. So we had those matches. So we, sometimes we play for pickleball for three hours. So mm -hmm. I've been training. And, you know, I told myself I'll never want to go back to where I was uh, before. When I look at pictures of me, I'm like, oh, okay, I let myself go too much. So uh, uh, now I'm only like 10, 15 pounds more than when I played, So nice. which is a good way. I'm going to try to lose another maybe 5, 10, but uh, I feel a lot better. Well, that'll serve as a, maybe some motivation to me and perhaps others. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew as a Miguel student? Is there any anything that uh, that you can put like Rod Stewart, right? The song I wish I knew now and I knew what I know now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Honestly, like I live life in the present. Like I'm not like oh, I should have done this. Anything really happens for a reason. I made decisions then that. That's what I felt was right at this time. So, you know, you learn from everything you do. So I I don't think I'd change anything. I know it's a, it's a boring answer, but I don't right. think I'd change anything. Was it perfect the whole time? No. Did I make mistakes? Yes. But those mistakes are part of what you learn, too. So, you know what? There's nothing I would change. I enjoyed it. And I could have worked harder in school and have even better grades. But I, I guess I did okay with grades, too. So, yeah. uh You know, honestly, uh, I don't wish to change anything. All right. And uh, final question is, if you could go back in time, in a time machine, let's say, push a button and uh, get transported back and spend a day as a McGill student on the campus, can you walk through what your sort of dream day would be, your per a perfect day for Matthew Darsh uh, on the campus? Well, I'd get there with my wife, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the perfect day was... Uh, What I liked is when I had a class from uh, was it eight to eleven or nine to twelve, whatever that three hours in the morning, and then uh, or have actually have a class from nine to twelve, then spend two three hours at the Shatner Building with the boys uh, eating and you know just excuse my language shooting the shit about different topics and then walking up to practice. That would be my perfect day. Just one class hang out with the, with the guys, and then go to practice. That would be a perfect day for me. Sounds pretty good to me, too. Maybe have a drink after at, uh, at, at one of the uh, fine establishments near McGill. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to thank you, Matt. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure. Uh, the 16th guy in McGill hockey history to win a Stanley Cup. That's quite an achievement. Uh, there's no other school in North America that can boast about 16 Stanley Cup champions. Um, looking forward to the day when we see the uh, Stanley Cup ring that uh, will be on your finger one day. And uh, I'd like to thank you for the time that you spent, uh, the commitment. Congratulations on all your success. And it's been just wonderful having you here today with us. Well, my pleasure, Pearl, for you, anything. And uh, hopefully I'll get my day in Montreal with the Cup. I don't know if it's going to happen, but if it does, and we have to make sure that you come and, uh, and enjoy it also. 
Thanks for joining us today. Alma Matters is presented by the Redbird Sports Shop, the official retail store of McGill Athletics and Recreation. Shop for McGill Apparel at redbirdsportshop.ca. If you enjoyed this episode of our podcast, please subscribe. This is Earl the Pearl Zuckerman signing off. This has been Alma Matters, a podcast by McGill Athletics and Recreation. Interested in sharing your story or have a question for our host? Get in touch by following us on Facebook or Instagram.